cheapest way to fly business class because we're all about the business. This is Darrell Lalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 53. <sighs> Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the cash flow ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye hey what's up what's going on everybody welcome back welcome to the before the millions podcast i'm excited guys today's a fascinating show and you know if you're new to this podcast if you're new to this space if you're considering getting into real estate there are a lot of questions you have to ask yourself do I want to come in the game as a flipper and start flipping homes and, you know, creating a spread and adding value? Do I want to start wholesaling maybe so that I don't have to put any money up front down and I can still kind of create that spread? It may not be as big, but it's more lucrative in a sense. Or maybe you want to be an agent. You don't want to be on the buy or sell side, but, you know, you want to be able to collect that commission. And, you know, those commissions are pretty big sometimes, especially if you're at a good brokerage. If you have great connections and you know what you're doing, or maybe you want to get into rental properties, you see the value of having long-term sustainable cash flow for yourself and your family, and you want to build generational wealth to be able to pass down to your family. Whatever the case is, this is your starting point, most likely, and you have a decision to make. So on this show, we're speaking to Mr. Mark Ferguson, and Mark is going to kind of dive into every single aspect. So whether or not you want to be an agent, you want to be a wholesaler, you want to be a flipper, or you want to be a landlord. I haven't even talked about being an investor. Maybe you want the hands-off approach. You don't want a landlord. You don't want to deal with tenants. You don't want to deal with 2 a.m. calls. And you just want to be passively investing your money into real estate. That's another option. So we're going to discuss all five of those options on the show and figure out what option is best for you. To this day, Mark, our guest for today, he dabbles in, I wouldn't say dabbles because he's, I mean, he's doing it. He's in every single category. He doesn't limit himself to just one. Me personally, as your host, I focus on rental real estate. I focus on the passive income. I focus on building wealth for myself and my family. Now, to create active income, to pour into passive investments, most people use their nine to five job. Mark, he uses his commissions as an agent, his fee as a wholesaler, his profit as a flipper, and he pours that into his rentals. Me, I use my educational platform, my other online businesses. You know, I teach first-time investors. I help first-time investors get into their first investment property, and then I show them how to scale that business, doing it the same way I did it, creating a platform that now has spread to over 84 countries, guys, 84 countries. We're one year in the game with this platform, and now this platform is huge. I mean, we have a podcast. We have a newsletter that's amazing. Our Facebook group is really ramping up. I'm loving the success in that group. Like you guys have to join. It's at beforethemillions.com slash group. Our blog posts are now being updated every single week. So you guys are getting quality content for free every week on all these platforms. If you visit the Before the Million site, we have a masterclass. It shows you how we take people from their professional workings to start showing them how to become five and six figure earners doing exactly what they love. It's been simply amazing. So Guys, this is a fascinating episode, and we're going to get into it here in a bit, but you guys know I have to hit you with the tip of the week. So let's get to that first. DeRay's Tip of the Week. So I read this statistic the other day that says that the most stressed people on earth are people between the ages of 18 and 33 years of age. And that post goes on to saying that the baby boomers tricked us 
I guess us being millennials, into obtaining 20K in student loan debt while they only pay us $15 an hour upon graduation for an entry-level job. And then they want us to gain another eight plus years of experience before giving us real raises while charging us $1,200 a month for an 875 square foot apartment. (laughs) I thought that was funny. That's not what the tip of the week is about. Instead, however, the tip of the week is actually about how the middle class has it the worst. So the middle class is working the hardest of any other class, whether it's lower class, lower middle class, higher middle class, high class. The middle class actually has it the worst. Duray, why is that? Well, first off, the middle class is working the hardest. People in lower middle class or low class, they have certain programs, certain things, certain incentives for them to want to stay where they are. While the upper middle class and the high class, a lot of them own businesses. A lot of them have built up a massive amount of wealth. Some of this wealth is generational wealth. You can call them lucky. You can call them hardworking. But the middle class works the hardest. Also, why the middle class has it the worst? The middle class is taxed to the max. Again, lower class, lower middle class, they have lower tax rates. While higher class and higher middle class, they're able to offset their taxes most likely with a business, with the entrepreneurial investment, therefore paying less taxes than most people. So the middle class is working the hardest, the middle class is taxed to the max, and the middle class is loaded with debt. This is why we're seeing a forever shrinking middle class. Nobody wants to be in the middle class anymore. It sucks. You know, when I was growing up, we used to dream of being in the middle class because we knew or we thought that we knew being in the upper middle class or high class was unattainable for us. So we knew that if we were able to make it to the workforce, the working middle class, whether that was me being an accountant or being any type of professional, providing any type of services, even being a small business owner, we knew that that was the goal. But as we begin to shift and realize that that is no longer the goal, people are drastically trying to find ways to leave the middle class because it sucks. When you can put that into perspective and realize that we have it the worst as the middle class, you don't want to settle for less. So you don't want to go back. You don't want to go down. You want to further your enrichment. You want to climb up. The way we do that on the show, the way we create our own class is by becoming entrepreneurial. Now, as is anything that's worth fighting for, you may go from middle class as a professional, to lower middle class as an entrepreneur, to even low class because you're fighting tooth and nail to create, to design, to implement something that has never been done before. Whether you're coming in as a real estate investor, a landlord, a wholesaler, I mean, you're starting something brand new. And sometimes it's capital intensive, but anything worth having is worth fighting for. If you're happy with where you are, if you're happy with decisions that have brought you to where you are, then there's most likely no need for change. But if you want something more, if you want to get out of the worst class that was ever brought upon us by quote unquote, the baby boomers, which I don't believe that it was just the article that I read. You just take these things with a grain of salt. But if you want more, if you want more fulfillment, if you want your time back, you have to start finding ways to get out of the middle class. It's a sinkhole. And lots of us were trapped in that class. We see no way out. As we've racked on tons of student loan debt, our car notes, our mortgages, or maybe it's rent. And rent is even worse than a mortgage because, I mean, quite frankly, you're paying $1,200 a month, $1,500 a month. That goes to no end, meaning that you'll have nothing to show for that at the end of the year. Besides, of course, you have a roof over your head. How much is that costing you down the line? You know, I say it often. We work from January to June just to pay the government. We work six whole months to pay the government because we're being taxed at 45, 50%. When you look at things from that perspective, you quickly want to climb out of the middle class. That's what we talk about on the show, how to create your own system, how to become an investor, how to rinse and repeat the cycle so that you can create a new cycle for yourself and your family. If you need help with that, reach out to us, join our Facebook group, subscribe to our newsletter, email me. You could even become a private coaching client of mine. There's so many resources out there. There's so many ways. There's no reason to be stuck if you are stuck. And that's the tip of the week for this week, guys. So let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. On today's show, we have the 
creator and founder of uh, Invest for More. And his name is Mark Ferguson. Mark, you flipped over 120 houses. You've sold over a thousand houses as an agent. You own quite a few rentals and you've even done some wholesale deals, Mark. So I'm excited to get into your story. But first and foremost, Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. No, happy to be on the show. And yeah, I'm still a pretty active flipper. So I think we're up over 140 flips right now. I need to update that, that information. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely. Well, Mark, let's give the listeners some context. Let's take it back. Let's figure out who you are. Let's get to know you personally, Mark. So younger Mark, maybe high school Mark, college Mark, or early entrepreneurial Mark, let's take it back from there and maybe talk about your thought processes and what were you, you were doing at a young age and what kind of brought you to real estate investing? Yeah. So, I mean, it all started, my dad became an agent in 1978. So I grew up around real estate. I was sleeping under his desk in the office when I was like three and kind of growing up in that environment. A lot of people are like, Oh, Hey, you're going to be a realtor too. You're going to get into business. And I was like, Nope, I don't want any part of it. So I uh, went through high school, ended up going to college, the university of Colorado and majored in business finance. I was a hard worker. I graduated in four years, but I wasn't, you know, incredibly motivated. I didn't have this huge plan in mind. And when I graduated, I kind of was looking for a finance job. And it was early 2000s. Nothing was super exciting out there. And I'm like, okay, I'll just work part time for my dad until I figure out what I really want to do. And at that time, he is still an agent, he would flip houses once in a while. And I started working with him. And I realized how much I liked the flexible schedule, kind of being my own boss, the investing side was really cool. And I saw my other friends who were in the corporate world and I would talk to them and hang out with them and they sounded miserable. Like, you know, it's kind of like working so hard to get to this certain point in your career, but you don't really know when that point's going to be. You don't know what's going to happen. And I just thought, man, maybe I kind of stumbled upon the right thing here. So I ended up getting my real estate license, became an agent, helped my dad with the investing side. And the first few years, you know, weren't, I wasn't, you know, a barnstormer. I wasn't blowing things up or anything, but I was making a living. I ended up buying a house when I was 22 and it kind of just prolonged me onto this path of real estate. And as I got older, around 25, 26, I found the world of foreclosures and selling REOs for banks. And that's when my career really exploded. I found my niche and started to become really successful in the business. Sounds amazing. And I love your background, your business finance background, because many of our listeners come from the finance and accounting world. So I'm sure that they can relate to your story in one way or another. And I know that I can. You were fortunate enough or maybe unfortunate enough to kind of bypass the whole corporate America thing, it sounds like. So while you were 20, 21, 22, when you were kind of trying to find your footing and you originally didn't want to be a realtor, maybe because your dad was a realtor and you want to find your own path. And you went into business finance. And again, in the early 2000s, you said that the job market was scarce. So you decided to kind of uh, work alongside with your dad and help him out and maybe learn, learn the ropes and really figure out his business and what he does. And while you were doing that, you compared what you were doing to what your friends were doing. And your friends were in that space that you were hoping to be in. And they were working in corporate America. They were putting in those long hours and they were, you know, reaping the benefits of whatever they were sowing. And you didn't seem to like that. What about that wasn't appealing to you? It's funny because going through college the whole time, you know, it was never very appealing to me to be in the corporate world. That was just kind of what they taught us to do. That's what they prepared us for. It's like, oh, hey, you know, go work for a company. If you want to get ahead, you know, work 80 hours a week for 20 years and maybe at some point you'll be CEO or something. And, and the whole time I was in college, I'm just kind of thinking, man, that sounds horrible. I don't want to do that. But um, I didn't have any other really goals or things I wanted to do. And I still didn't want to be in real estate, but um, it was just something where I knew I wanted to do something else, but I wasn't sure what it was. So when real estate came along, it was kind of like, yes, I like this lifestyle better. I like this career better. Um, I don't know if exactly real estate or not, but I like how it's set up. And it's kind of that entrepreneurial spirit, I think is what I had. I just, you know, my favorite class in college was an entrepreneur class. It's just a matter of kind of, discovering that for myself. And I had to get into the real world to do that and then figure out, oh yeah, you know, I need to be my own boss. I need to do my own thing. I don't want to work in the corporate world. So I'm um, going all through sports, all through stuff in high school. I learned I didn't like people telling me what to do. So I think that's part of it too, where, um, you know, being my own boss, I get to decide what to do. It's much better for my personality than having a boss telling me when to work, what to work on, things like that. So there's a lot of different factors. And I think just finding out for myself, the entrepreneurial side was what really had that light bulb click in my head for what I want to do with my life. 
So the fact that you didn't, re- you never really entered the workforce, the corporate America workforce, although that was, that was the kind of the path that you were gearing on. So you don't, you don't have the experiences of working, you know, 80 hours a week for somebody else and things like that. So with that being said, there are a lot of people in your life that did have that experience. And there are a lot of people in your life that did have stable jobs. So when you would have conversations with them, even way back then, before you even really became entrepreneurial, were there any naysayers? Were there any people kind of pulling you back or saying, you need to find a stabilized job? I understand that your dad was a realtor. So he probably was in your corner for what you were doing, but maybe, maybe your mom or maybe other family members, or maybe even those friends themselves, you know, what were people around you saying about the path that you were taking? Because I found that you don't miss something that you've never had. So you can't miss the stability of having, you know, a 60 hour a week finance job if you've never had it. So you just knowing that there's no stability that you're like, man, if I leave my corporate America job today, I'm not going to get that paycheck every two weeks. So you've never had that fear. So was there anybody who had that fear for you? You know, a lot of people, you know, I had a lot of friends who were in the, went in the corporate world and went to college with my best friend kind of took that route. And actually, well, he went to grad school, then he went to the corporate world. And there weren't a whole lot of naysayers, actually. I think there are actually people who wish they're in my shoes, some, <laughs> because of the just having the, the freedom and flexibility. I know there's some people who definitely, you know, they want, you don't get benefits as an entrepreneur. You don't have a retirement plan. You have to do all that stuff yourself. So there's that side of it that's a little scary. But like you said, I never knew the other side of it. And Ironically, my best friend who I went to college with, who went to grad school, ended up working for a Via tech company for 10 some years, quit his jobs and came to work for me after 10 years. So he, wow. he was in the corporate world for a long time. We were talking about different stuff and when I was really ramping up my business and he, I could just tell how much he hated his life because he knew if he wanted to move up in the world, he could get higher positions, but he'd be traveling you know, three weeks a month, two weeks a month. He'd never see his family. It's just like, more and more work if you want to move up in the business. Whereas as an entrepreneur, it's kind of like you create a business where you do less and less work, hopefully, and make more money. So it, and yeah, I think there were some people who maybe thought it was silly or lazy or whatever it was to get into real estate. But once they saw the freedom and then you start making good money, I think it was more of a, oh man, I wish I could do that kind of attitude. That makes perfect sense. And this person being your best friend and you guys kind of, I guess, interacting constantly and he's, you know, seeing what you're doing. Obviously, you're telling him about the things that you're doing and you're seeing what he's doing and he's able to compare and contrast. What are some of the things, and I know you've mentioned some of the things high level like freedom, but what are some of the things more specifically that he was just like, I need, you know, I'm getting away from this pain of working 30, 40, 50, whatever it is, 60, 70 hours a week and traveling two months and so on and so forth just to climb a corporate ladder that I may not even have a guarantee of climbing. What are some of the things that kind of, you know, he was just like enough is enough. Like, uh, was it something that happened in his life or was it something that happened in your life that he was just like, I need to come up? What was kind of that pivotal moment? I think that one of the pivotal moments was I bought my dad out in 2013. So that's kind of a big switch for me where I was buying you know, the flipping business, the real estate team, everything. I I bought him out. He retired and I needed help to do that. So we had been talking for a while, my friend and I, about different things we wanted to do. And he was telling me about his job where it was pretty much the company wasn't doing amazing. They kept laying people off. It's like every time they lay someone off, okay, we'll just transfer that workload to you. And you don't get paid a whole lot more, but you have to do you know, twice as much work. And it was just kind of, you could see the writing on the wall that, that just kept happening over and over again to everybody. They keep the really good people, but it's like more and more work, not that many more benefits. And he didn't know, like you said, if the company would even be along around, you know, that much longer. So there's no guarantee he'd keep working there. He could, he actually had it set up so he could work at home, which I think was nice, but it's still, he had to have a separate office. No one could bother him because he had so much work going on. And I think he saw on the real estate side where um, one huge benefit was just the multiple ways to make money. So he could be an agent. I could pay him right away to help me manage my team and kind of, you know, transfer ownership things. He can invest in real estate like I did as well. So it was kind of like earning one paycheck from the corporate world where there's no guarantee it will come in. They keep giving more work or come work with me where we have, you know, four or five different ways you can make money. You're flexible. You're your own boss. You have your own schedule. You have more time for your family. And I told him, you know, I remember telling him like, Hey, you know, you can, you can come work for me. I don't, we're best friends. So I don't want that to ruin it. You know, it's kind of scary working with a really good friend, but I just thought I'd throw this offer out there. And I didn't think there's any way he'd ever say yes. And like, a couple weeks later, he's like, I think I want to take you up on it. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, cool. So it worked out great for both of us. 
That's amazing. Uh, Mark, can you really briefly, can you explain to us, uh, compare and contrast the differences between maybe being an agent, being a wholesaler, and being an investor? And you can attack this from any angle you see fit, maybe a lifestyle point of view, maybe an income point of view, or maybe a more general point of view. But, you know, there are different ways to get into real estate. There are different reasons for us getting into real estate. And based on our goals, you know, based on maybe the people that we know, we may get in as an agent and turn into an investor. We may get in as a uh, as a flipper and turn into, you know, whatever. But there are lots of things that spark our interest when it comes to real estate. So I guess talk about the different, because you, you dabbled in, in wholesaling, you, you are an investor and I mean, you are a realtor. So what are some of the nuances for each viable path? I kind of want to give our listeners a clear picture of, you know, maybe they're in the middle of making a decision. They're like, man, there's so many different ways to make money in real estate. There's so many different ways to start out in real estate. What do I want to do and how do I figure that out? Yeah. First, I think there's real estate investing is used to encompass a lot of things, you know, wholesaling, flipping, rentals. Really, I think the investing side of it is when you're investing in something that will keep making you money, you know, for most of your life, which is rentals or possibly buying notes. But the flipping side of it, the agent side of it, the wholesale side of it, even though it's kind of all thought of as investing is more, it's a job or business, you know, you can set up as a business where people are doing stuff for you, but you've got to keep working, keep buying houses, keep hustling to bring that money. So the investing is more of my rentals. I think of that as investing. My job is the flipping, the agent side, you know, job slash business. So the difference is, you know, I'll start with the agent side versus the wholesaling. I've done a little bit of wholesaling, but mostly I've made, you know, the majority of my income as an agent early in my career and then flipping now. And as an agent, if people are thinking, do I want to be a wholesaler? Do I want to be an agent? You know, there's kind of a tricky side. It's a lot easier to become an agent than it is a wholesaler in my opinion. You have to take a class, you have to pass a background test. But once you're an agent, you're selling houses. Most people know what you do. If you get some training, you can make commissions on each sale. As a wholesaler, you know, you've got to be awesome at finding deals. It can be tricky figuring out how to get them under contract, how to find money, you know, if you're actually buying them, you gotta find a buyer's list. It can take a lot of time to get things set up. And I know a lot of people out there teach wholesaling as this easy way to get into real estate with no money, no background, no credit. But I would estimate nine out of 10 people who wanna wholesale real estate never do a deal, because it's hard, (laughs) you know? And then there's a lot of people who make a ton of money wholesaling. I mean, you know, you're selling 10 houses a month and bringing 50 grand in or more, but it took them a long time to get there. They've got a business set up. It's hard to do. So really, if you want to get into real estate, being an agent can almost be, I think, easier to make money from the very beginning. More people understand it. There's not as many, you know, bumps in the road. But wholesaling, you know, it's definitely a viable business, but just don't expect it to be easy and to happen right away. So yeah, I love that. And it's like, you know, you never hear, you know, you say nine out of 10 people don't actually get started or don't make it in wholesaling. Well, you never hear from those people. You hear from the one out of 10 that do make it. Those are the people on the podcast. And it's very, very easy to kind of skew uh, information and kind of have your mind believing that, you know, this is a viable path. I'm not saying that just because the, the chances are so small, you shouldn't do something. Cause I definitely believe that, you know, if there's, if you're passionate about something, you should definitely go down that path. But when you're not as Exactly sure where to get started in real estate. And, you know, you're giving us real examples, real experiences that you've, you know, you've been in the trenches. So getting advice from an expert like you is amazing for a listener who's kind of trying to figure that out. And I think that was phenomenally said. So, you know, as a first time investor or, or becoming, you know, a potential investor, you're looking maybe to start out as an agent, kind of how your best friend did it. What, what was more appealing for him to start out as an agent uh, rather than maybe buying his first investment property? Because I believe you, you mentioned that he got paid immediately from you because you, I mean, you brought him under your wings and it sounded like you already had something ready for him. So is that typical for all agents or is that something that kind of was a nuance for him? That was unique for him. Cause I, like I said, I was buying out the team for my dad. So we already had an assistant, a couple of agents on our team and I didn't want to manage those people. I didn't want to be that person. I want to do the investing side, my, you know, work on my agent side, that, that type of stuff. So I brought Justin in, who is my friend and I could, wasn't paying him a ton of money, but I gave him a little bit to, Hey, you know, help me transition into this business, into my name. Cause he had a lot of management experience, you know, figuring out, payroll, all that stuff, how to pay the agents, how to, you know, manage the agents, even though he wasn't an agent, he kind of had that job and we worked together to figure it out, but I could pay him a little bit right away to do that stuff. 
Um, he also worked on getting his license. He actually got his license um, while he was still working for his other company. But yeah, for most people, they're not going to have that opportunity to you know get paid while they're becoming an agent. Now, there might be some teams or some spots where you can be an assistant, do stuff like that, but it's not going to be a lot of money. You know, it's going to be kind of administration stuff. So as an agent, you know, we typically tell people, if you want to be a full-time agent, you want this to be your career, you need to save up six months of living expenses because it might take a while to sell a house. Because, <laughs> you know, once you get your license, if you find a buyer, you know, immediately, it's going to take two months for that deal to close. And that's assuming you find them right away. So again, you know, it's not something that'll happen right away. You can work into it part-time if you really want to and, and keep your other job, but it, that can be tough too. But um, yeah, whatever you're doing in real estate, you know, it's not something that's going to happen really fast right away. So yeah, Justin joined our team. He was unique where he got paid a little bit, but he got his license. He started selling houses, did really well his first year, ended up buying a, an investment property, I think, in that first year as well. And it's just kind of like, yeah, I always think of the agent side, the flipping side as a way for me to make money, which I can then invest into rental properties. It's kind of like your day job. Most people use that right. using your day job, but you're, you're able to kind of stay in the space all day, every day. So that, I mean, it's going to be advantageous and we're going to get into that shortly. But first, let's maybe talk about, you know, 22, 23 year old Mark. We've talk, kind of talked about your life, but let's talk about your transition into becoming a realtor. And if you maybe remember, you know, some of those early on transactions and, you know, walk us through if you can that first one and how you felt and what happened. And maybe if that sparked some more interest in another area, just kind of walk us through your thought process uh, with that first transaction, if you remember that. Yeah, no, it's my one of my friends from high school, actually, who I sold him a brand new construction house. He was looking for a new, you know, had a wife, and they're looking for a new property. And I found him a house. And I remember it's really frustrating, because, you know, as an agent, sometimes you have lenders you work with, you give out names for your buyers or whatever. So he had a really good friend who was his lender. And he wanted him to do this loan, where basically had like $12,000 in closing costs to get a lower down payment. And there's all financing the loan. I kept telling him, don't do it. It's not a good loan. You're starting out like 10 grand behind the ball, you know, in your first house. And he believed his friend because he's a lender. So that was frustrating because people don't always listen to you, but you can only, you know, give them as much information as you can and let them make their own decisions. So I really liked, you know, working with friends, family, people I knew. The part that was tough for me was working with strangers, cold calling people, I'm a bit of an introvert, uh, not a super, you know, out there calling people a hundred times a day, but you get through it. I mean, you have to do it. That's just part of life. So that's why I really liked the REO side of it. Working with banks was, it was almost all web-based, email-based, task-based. It's kind of like a more structured way of selling houses as an agent. So I liked that part of it. And when I found that, that's really when my career took off. But in the very beginning, when I was 22, 23, I was kind of you know, floating along, selling a house here or there, helping my dad with a flip here or there, trying to find what I, what I really like to do. So for those of us who have never even thought about the idea of, of being an agent and what all it takes to become an agent and, and to actually be an agent day to day, what do you mean by you had to, you didn't like the idea of cold calling? Who were you cold calling? Why were you cold calling? And when you found REOs, why was that an end to cold calling? Right. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I did a whole lot of cold calling, but when you're an agent, you've got to generate leads. I mean, that's how you sell houses, right? So, you know, there's Zillow, you can buy leads online. They're very low success rate for those. So they're very expensive, very low success rate. It works for some people, but it's really hard to make that work. And the old school building your database is what makes you successful as an agent. And basically, you know, you're keeping track of all your friends, all your family, everybody you know, everybody you meet, you market to them, he sent him emails once a month that are hopefully interesting and exciting. You call up those people who you think are close to buying a house. Maybe you have little parties for them, things like that. It's all about just networking. Mark, really quick, you're looking for sellers and buyers at the same time? Yeah, yeah. When you first start out, you know, it's probably easier to find buyers. But yeah, sellers are actually better for an agent because if you list a house, that brings you buyers too. So it's kind of like the double-edged sword. But when you're first starting out, I'd say most people or agents are looking for buyers just because it's easier to find them than sellers. And you can hold open houses, do uh, online you know, marketing on even newspapers, <laughs> but you know, Facebook, Craigslist, um, there's all types of things you can do. But the real key is keeping that database, keeping everything organized 
in marketing to people over and over. There might be some cold calling, but what you're trying to do is just meet new people, meet as many people as you can, build relationships, and then do a really good job for those people. And then hopefully they'll refer people back to you. It's just about building this big net to try and catch um, potential leads. Okay, that's great. So as an agent, you're first starting out, you're trying to collect leads from, from you're trying to find buyers, you're trying to find sellers, and you're just kind of trying to find a way to make it all, all cohesively work together. Well, as a new agent, you know, you're, you're often working for either a brokerage or you're working for another agent, whatever the case may be. And, you know, let's just say, I could be wrong, but I think lots of agents, the best way for them to maybe get their start is family and friends. So a family or a friend is selling or buying, and that's kind of how you get your foot in the door. Because, I mean, a, a random seller trusting an agent who doesn't have any experience, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but it's, uh, the chances are very slim, would you say? Yeah, and, and there's some ways I think you can try and mitigate that a little bit. And one of them, you know, is joining a team. So like we have our team here with four, five different agents on it. And we've got some brand new agents who are joining our team. And we take, you know, part of their commission to be on our team, but we offer them training and we help them. So, you know, we can go with them on an appointment to, you know, say, hey, yeah, I'm new, but I've got so-and-so here who's worked in the business for 15 years helping me or whatever. Or if someone's calling like, hey, we're from the Ferguson team, you know, and they ask how much experience you have. Like, well, you know, I, I'm not just starting out but my team has 80 years of experience. They're all helping me out. They're backing me up in everything I do. So you can be confident that I know what I'm doing. We're going to help you sell or buy your house. It's, you're not working with someone brand new. You're working with an entire team. When you're choosing a brokerage to work for as a new agent, it's really important you, you pick one that has good training as well. And that broker should be helping you kind of like a team would a little bit, but a lot of new agents make the mistake of saying, oh, I want to go with the office that offers me the highest commission split. I don't care about the training. And I always like to tell them, hey, 0% or 100% of zero is still zero. So you, know, <laughs> you want to pick the best training, not the highest commission split. And so if you get in the right situation as a new agent, you can work it so that, hey, I've got this office, this team backing me. It's not just me helping you. It's all of us. And you don't need to worry about my inexperience. I love that so much. And you talk about, it's about, you know, when you're looking for a brokerage, it's about what kind of training services are they offering? You know, it's not always about some, some of these other things. Would you say that the actual name recognition of the brokerage has a, should play a major part in your decision at, uh, when, when you're becoming an agent? I would say no. There are some brokerages like Keller Williams that are notorious for great training, but Every single office across the country has their own broker who's like the own manager and they're all a little bit different. So when I'm working with buyers or sellers, I almost never do now anymore, but before when I was, nobody cared who I worked for or very few people did. Maybe that office will get a few more calls, a few more leads um, to send out to their agents. But really it's about what you can do as an agent as far as your own marketing, your own you know, work ethic plan it's not about what the office will do for you. So there might be a slight advantage to being in a big name brand brokerage. But to me, I would go for the office you feel most comfortable with, you think will train you the best over anything else. And in some areas, in small towns or somewhere, a, a local brokerage with no national affiliation might have more name recognition there than you know a Remax or Cobble Banker. So it really depends on your situation, but I don't think it makes that big of a difference. That makes perfect sense. So what about the brand new agent who doesn't necessarily think that maybe they don't need a broker? They have lots of connections in the industry that they're in. They're very, uh, they're very motivated. They maybe even have a, a buyer's list. They have a few sellers, you know, and they, they just kind of want to get started and see if they can really pursue this path is um, maybe talk about what the difference is between an agent and a broker and somebody getting in, why it's important for them to, to maybe join a brokerage. The first thing is almost, I believe every single state, you have to join a brokerage when you're new. So you have no choice. And in most states, you have to, they call it hanging your license. You have to put your license with a broker for at least two years. Just that's part of your training, kind of to learn from the broker, um, have someone overlooking you, overseeing what you're doing, to make sure you don't mess up. So after those two years, you can either become a broker for just yourself or 
an employing broker, which means you manage other agents. So there's all kinds of different names for it in different states and things, but that's the, the basics of it. And as a brand new agent, I think if you're, you're just being an agent for yourself, for your own investing, something like that, I think it's okay to go with the brokerage that offers low fees, not maybe as much training. But if you ever want to sell houses for other people, you ever want to be, a, you know, help them out, you need to know how contracts work. You need to know how title companies work, how inspections work, how HOAs work. There's so much stuff that goes on and they don't teach you hardly any of that in real estate school. So real estate school is not where you learn about real estate. It's actually being an agent in the business, gaining that experience. So I think it's really important for anybody who ever wants to actually help others out that they go to a broker with training who can teach them how to do it. You don't have to stay there forever, but you know, at least learn the ropes from them first. So you're taking care of your clients. You don't want to, you know, do a bad job for them and, and screw up their house deal, which is probably the biggest purchase they'll ever make. And we touch on often on this podcast, the importance of having a strong team, the importance of having a great team. And I love that you've touched on this point because it's very imperative. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, what job you're doing, if you're an investor, if you're a flipper, if you're doing something that has nothing to do with real estate, when you're able to leverage the talents, the resources, maybe even the capital of other people, you're able to climb faster than you ever thought imaginable. So, you know, when you talk about being brand new and so many people are scared to get started and you talk about being brand new and thinking that because I'm brand new, I'm not going to get any business. There's no reason for anybody to give me any business. But if you can leverage the experiences, the, the amount of collective gears uh, that the brokerage that you're working for has been in business and the accolades that they've achieved, if you can leverage all of that, then you're in that much of a better position to appear a professional, to appear that you, you know what you're talking about, to appear that you know what you're doing in front of the seller. I think that's amazing. And the same thing, again, how that translates to other industries or even how that translates to, to yourself in that same industry, that same same way you can leverage the experience of your, of your broker as an investor, you can leverage your experience, the experience of a partner, you can ex leverage the experience of a coach, you can leverage the, the balance sheet of another person to your lender. So there are many, 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 many things that you can do when you're brand new. So I don't want you guys to think that because you're brand new, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be hard to get in or there, there's no point in even trying. When you have people around you, when you have team members that have experience, definitely take advantage of those. I think that's super, super important. So Mark, let's move, move down your path. Let's talk about how and why you decided to get into your first rental property. Now you've been a realtor, you've been a realtor for quite some time. You flipped houses, you know, you've done a lot and you decided eventually that you wanted to buy a rental property. Now, of course, now you have many rental properties, but that very, very first one, what sparked that? It was because, you know, as an REO agent, I was selling foreclosures. I think I sold 200 houses one year myself. And so I had good money coming in and it's funny, they don't teach you anything in real estate school about investing. Most agents will never invest in a house. Most agents don't even own their own house. It's crazy. But um, we're going to, well, Mark, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> so I just kept researching everything I could about, okay, I'm making money, but I don't feel like it's adding up like it should be. I have some money in the stock market. You know, I'm, I'm paying all the taxes on this stuff. Like, where's all this money I'm making going? And I just knew I had to invest better. And I looked at franchises, businesses, stock market, bonds, anything I could. And it just kept coming back to real estate being the best investment. So I knew I wanted to buy a rental. Um, it took me probably two years before I actually bought it after I made that decision, just because, you know, it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to buy. You know, you get scared. I had a new wife and I believe she was pregnant when I bought my first rental with our twins. So that was a little scary, but I just knew I wanted to buy it. I found a good deal is kind of a no brainer. And you still are like, Oh man, is this a good decision? But after I bought it, it's been an awesome property. And then I just knew from that point forward, okay, I need to buy as many rentals as I can. And so from 2010 to 2015, I bought 16 rentals here in Colorado. 2016 prices got insane here and you couldn't cash flow anymore. So I stopped buying residential rentals, didn't buy any properties in 2016. And then I kind of bought four commercial properties last year. So I kind of switched gears to something that would cash flow better. But just love rentals because you know, if you buy the right ones, they'll cash flow for the rest of your life. Once you make that investment, money's always going to come in. You can get a great deal on real estate, which is so advantageous over other investments. You know, the first rental I bought, I paid 96900 for it. And at the time, I figured it was worth 140 in that range. And it needed like 2000 in work. 
So I'm like, sweet. Wow. That house now is worth almost 300,000 because Colorado's so crazy. But, um, and then, you know, just the tax advantages are awesome. You're paying off your loan. They're so easy to finance compared to other investments. I just love rentals and I really, really want to just keep buying as many as I can. <laughs> I love that. I'm a big advocate for rentals. That is the purpose of, you know, this podcast, you know, lifestyle design through real estate. And when we talk about lifestyle design, we're not talking about flipping because like you said, that's a job. So when we're achieving the ultimate lifestyle design, you need to be able to have your time. And for you to be able to have your time, you need cash flowing assets and rentals provide you with that. So that is amazing. Um, kind of moving to a little bit of a, of a different area. I love how we're talking about agents. I love how we're talking about investors. Now, let me ask you a common question that I get. Should you get into real estate investing, rental property investing, you know, cash flowing assets by becoming an agent first? Or should you just kind of not waste your time doing that? What is your experience? What are some other people's experience? What would you say is the best route to go? I think it depends so much on your personal situation. So, you know, one thing I always hear people say is, hey, should I become an agent if I want to be an investor? And I think that depends on how much you're going to be investing, how active you are. You know, some people want to invest in rent. They want to buy a property, don't not spend much time on it, never worry about it, just have it be there, maybe buy one a year. You know, you probably don't have time to be an agent to learn the business, to figure all that out. So I always kind of tell people, hey, if you think you're going to be buying at least two houses a year, it's probably worth it to think about being an agent because you'll save money on commissions. You'll have better access to the MLS. Um, I still find a ton of deals on the MLS as an agent, even in Colorado where there's almost no houses for sale. And just being an agent, like you said, it's, it's kind of like my full-time job as an investor, flipper, agent. I'm immersed in the business. So it makes everything easier. I know values. I network with people. It just everything is easier when you're in the business when that's your job. So if you want to be a, a full-time investor, I think it's really important to be an agent or have an agent on your team, someone really close to you. It just makes it so much, you know, so important. Now, if you are thinking about starting a new career, you're saying, okay, I want to be an agent or I want to be an investor. I think you focus on one of them first. You don't get too scatterbrained. You don't try and do too much at once. So, you know, if you don't have a lot of money, if that's really what your goal is to make more money so you can invest it, I say focus on being an agent first, focus on building your business, building that database, becoming successful. And along the way, you'll learn a ton about investing because you're in the business. But don't you know, be trying to do agency side, trying to flip houses, trying to wholesale stuff, trying to buy rentals, looking into notes, you know, all at once. It's just gonna be confusing and you're not gonna end up doing anything. So I'd say focus on one of them, but it just so much depends on where you're at in life and what your goals are. That makes so much sense. So I think your rule of thumb, which is great, by the way, is if you're trying to maybe buy an investment property or you're trying to buy multiple investment properties, I think you said at least two a year, then you should definitely, definitely, definitely consider exploring some of these other crafts like being an agent and some of the other things in real estate. I think that they're super valuable, especially if you don't have a background in real estate. And not only the is the education valuable, but I'm sure that there are many contacts and connections that you build through being an agent. And, you know, maybe even being able to see some deals that some, some people, some other people wouldn't be able to see. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Yes, for sure. And, you know, one of the biggest advantages for me, as I said, a lot of my deals still come from the MLS is while I'm sitting here, you know, this morning, I'm checking my hot sheets on, you know, looking for houses that just popped up for sale. And if I see a house that's a good deal, I can go look at it, you know, in 10 minutes, if it's vacant, I can go make an offer in half an hour and have it to the agent today. If you're an investor who's relying on another agent, you know, maybe your agent's busy today. He can't show it to you tomorrow. Then you go see the house. Oh, well, I've got some other stuff going on. I'll get you offer tonight. You know, you don't get that offer in for two days. Whereas I've already got my offer in, I've already got under contract and you're sitting there waiting for your agent to show you the house. So there's huge advantages as far as time and getting good deals on it. Networking, like you said, I have other agents who bring me deals now because they know I flip houses, they know my reputation, they know if I say I'm gonna buy something, I'll buy it. And they'll come to me and say, hey, you know, I've got a really junky house. The people don't even wanna list it because they're embarrassed about it. Would you be interested in looking at it? I'm like, of course, you know, that's what I love to buy. So other lenders, other title companies, all those people know who I am and help me in so many ways because I'm in the business, because I'm an agent. Whereas if I was just an investor with kind of an agent doing everything for me, I might not know any of those people. They wouldn't know who I am. 
Perfect. What about the investors who per se don't necessarily, you talked about commissions and being able to save on commissions if you do become an agent. Is there a way around that as an investor? Can you put in your own offers? Can you make your own deals? How does that all work from a law aspect? If stuff is not listed for sale on the MLS, the multiple listing service, you know, you don't have to pay a commission. You can work directly with the seller. You can do what you want, you know, make offers. It's not a big deal. But if something is listed for sale on the MLS, that seller has a legal contract with the real estate agent. So if you try and go behind the agent or send them off or not pay a commission, that seller still owes the agent a commission. So it is, like you said, they legally have to pay a commission if you found that property because it was on the MLS because it had a for sale sign in it, whatever the reason may be. If you use a listing agent, maybe you get a small deal on the commission. You're not, you're not paying as much, but as a buyer, you know, you don't pay the commissions anyway, 95% of the time. It's the seller who pays the commissions. So really, if you're a buyer, there's no reason not to use an agent for houses that are for sale on the MLS. It's more as a seller where you're paying that commission. And I'm also a big advocate for sellers using agents just because you usually end up losing more money in the sales price. If you don't use an agent, it's usually more important to use an agent either way, unless you're talking about straight off market properties. Boom. There you have it. Well, Mark, one last question before we round out this section. And this is another uh, popular, 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 popular subject matter. You know, what do you think is the reason that so many agents don't see the light? So many agents don't become real estate investors. What's behind the psychology there? And is, should we be doing a better job to make sure that agents see the value of becoming investors? There's a lot to discuss on this subject. <laughs> First, I would say, as an agent, as someone who's been in the business for a long time, most agents aren't very good at their job. It's, I mean, they don't put in the time, they aren't disciplined, they don't have the training to know what they're really doing. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people become agents because of the schedule, because of they don't have a boss, and it's not necessarily something they're really putting their full heart into. But even the really successful agents, a lot of them still don't invest as well. And you know how you mentioned in the very beginning about other people from the corporate world telling me, oh, don't be an agent. You know, you don't want that career. Well, when I started buying my first rental property, there were agents everywhere telling me, don't buy a rental property. They're horrible investments. Don't do it. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I started looking at these agents and some of them had bought rentals. And when I started talking to them and figuring out, it's like, well, they bought like full retail value. They had no cash flow. They bought new construction rentals. You know, it's like they didn't put any thought into it. They didn't put any, you know, real research into what to buy. They just bought a rental because they thought you just buy any house and make it a rental property. And so, like you said, there's just a serious lack of education about investing in the entire world, you know, <laughs> let alone the real yeah. estate business. So, yeah, I think there definitely needs to be more education about investing, about how to really buy really good rentals. And real estate agents are just as bad as anybody else about not knowing how great they can be, even though many of them are immersed in the, the business like we know. <laughs> Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? I have a lot of favorite books. And I try to pick something different that people haven't heard of just because I know you have probably the same books that get listed a lot. But Third Circle Theory from PJ Gadami is one of my favorite books. And Ooh. if you don't, he's kind What's of a, about? <laughs> it's, it's a business book. It's really cool. It's just about, it's a really different idea about business, about, you know, providing a ton of value and just how to really, it's about life, business, just uh, making sure you're happy, your customers are happy. Really cool book. It's about lifestyle too. And he's a, he's a real cool guy. He's an immigrant when he's like eight, came to this country with nothing, built like multi-million dollar businesses in his early 20s, was kind of a little bit into real estate, but more into just entrepreneurial stuff, loves cars, huge car guy. So um, he actually started a, a group called Exotic Car Hacks, where he teaches people how to buy exotic cars and not lose money on them. So, um, but that's a really interesting book. I love to, to, sh to introduce people to him because he's such a cool guy and just all about lifestyle and just business in general. He's really smart. 
as soon as you said exotic car hacks, I may have heard of him. So uh, okay, I'll look into that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, he's probably more famous for that right now than his books yeah. or his other stuff because that's really taken off. I think I've heard of that before, so I, it may be the same person. Okay. Uh, <laughs> next question: What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Oh. I think anything on my phone is so important, but just DocuSign is amazing because I can go look at a property and I can have my assistant back at the office drop the contract and I can sign it right there on my phone. So, I mean, you can do it on email now too, but before it was all through an app. And boy, I don't use a whole lot of apps in general, but just having the email on my phone, communication on my phone when I'm out in the field and be able to do stuff instantly is just such a huge advantage and um, so, yeah, I would think just the ability to sign stuff on my phone to see that and do that in the field is the biggest thing for me. Love it. Love it. Love it. I'm a fan of DocuSign as well myself. So I love it. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? I would say the rental properties are just amazing because of the cash flow they bring in every month. And it's not just that they bring in that cash flow, but it's kind of like a safety net that allows me to take more risks and do other things in my business. Whereas I'm like, Hey, you know, I can go all out flipping houses or doing something else. Cause I know I have these rentals I bought. They're bringing me cash flow. If I fail miserably at something else over here, it's not the end of the world. And it's just, it brings you peace of mind knowing that, Hey, I invested in something that's got a lot of value is bringing in money. And I know I have something to show for show for all my hard work. So I think, that's the coolest thing about being in this business is when you can have that income coming in without really working and focus on other stuff. And then the other stuff isn't as scary because you have that income coming in. <laughs> I hear you, Evil Knievel. Don't get too carried away. <laughs> okay. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Yeah, no, there's a, that's a good question because like when I started my, my early 20s, I didn't have any goals. I didn't really have any plans. I just thought as you know, as smart, I could figure this all out myself. But when I really started to be successful, it was when I started to kind of work on my myself more than my job. I set goals. I looked at my attitude. I stopped worrying so much about what other people thought and did and started focusing on what I could do to be successful. And it does take hard work. You know, when I was in the midst of selling all those foreclosures, you know, I was working 60 hours a week or more driving all over the state to see these properties and then do broker price opinions and then list the properties. And just, it was a lot of work and, but it teaches you, you know, that work ethic you need. And it also teaches you the value of assistance in a team and how much more you can do with that leverage. So it is not easy in the beginning, especially if you don't have a lot of money. It's not like, you know, you can hire a bunch of people right away. So it does take time effort to build your business and it might take a couple of years before it gets to where it's at but those couple of years can go pretty fast so it's not like it's <laughs> not worth it that's for sure i love that and this question i'm going to ask a, a, an additional question I, I don't typically ask at this point but and it may be a, a bit premature because our next question kind of may be a follow-up to this depending on who your person is but how does your dad feel about all of your success now and i mean i know he was an investor and he was a, a realtor himself and now he him being able to see what his son has been able to produce. How does he feel about all of his success today? I think he's pretty proud. He said that a few times. I'm pretty, you know, happy with what I've done. I know a lot of it scared him too, because, you know, especially when I, you know, I've got a Lamborghini I bought a few years ago. And when I bought I that, that. <laughs> he hated it when I bought that car. He, he wouldn't even go for a ride in it. Like he couldn't believe I was doing that. So he's kind of old school. Like you don't spend money on stuff like that. You don't, but I think he's kind of come around a little bit when he saw, you know, it doubled in value after I bought it. And it's, you know, it was actually a good investment too. And there are reasons behind it more than just having a Lamborghini, but he's always thought I was a little too aggressive in my investing style and things I did. But at the same time, I think he's also, you know, has thought that was kind of cool to see the differences between the two of us. But yeah, no, I think he's proud. He's always telling me, you know, he's impressed with the things I've done. So that's, that's always cool to hear. That's amazing. You have to, you haven't already, you definitely need to give him a ride because that, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? You know, like I said, my dad helped quite a bit, but we, we had, we did have kind of different niches in the real estate business. Yeah. So when I found my own thing was when I really took off, but um, besides him, just really a lot of the, you know, positive attitude kind of coaches that are out there like Jack Canfield, Anthony Robbins, people like that. When I started listening to them and kind of 
realizing how much my attitude had to do with my success, I really started to take off as well. Because before that, I'm just like, oh, I don't need that. That stuff's just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. I can do it all myself. But when I started to get help and change my attitude, then I'm like, oh, wait, there's, there's something to it. And it makes sense when you listen to it. So not that I'm personally friends with any of them, but just listening to them, listening to CDs, reading their books really helped me grow as a person. What's your favorite Anthony Robbins book? Oh, he's got so many. The The money one is really good. I always forget what they're called. But the big one he wrote on the stock market versus like why it's such a ripoff. That was a really long book, but it was really good. Just the realizing how much stocks aren't a good investment, which I've always believed in as well versus real estate. <laughs> that makes that definitely makes sense. Okay, cool. Last but not least, how do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? It's hard. Like I said, when I, I waited two years to buy my first rental before I actually bought it, even though I was in the business, I knew I want to do it. I knew it was a good investment. And it's just, it's hard to make changes. It's hard to put yourself out there. And there's a lot of naysayers, like you said, in, especially in real estate. There's a lot of people telling you it's stupid, it's a bad investment. And most of them have no idea what they're talking about. So you just have to have confidence in yourself and just do it really. I mean, um, the best education out there is experience. And even if you lose 20 grand on a deal, it's still cheaper than going to college. And it's gonna make you so much more money from the mistakes you learn in the future. So it's tough, it's understandable, but at the same time, you just have to force yourself out there and do it. Love it. And I guarantee that'll be the best 20 grand you've ever yes. lost. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Mark, this has been simply spectacular. In summation, I hope our listeners have gained some insight from your story. I know I have. And how you went from, you know, a small time realtor, apparently, to this person who has a Lambo who's doubled in value, <laughs> a family who, in which you take care of, and you have your rental properties that produce income for you so that you can go take risks. I mean, a lot of us quite simply don't take enough risk these days. And, you know, when you have cash flowing assets, you free yourself up, not only your time, but you know, your mindset and your ability to try new things. So I think that's amazing. Thank you for sharing your story. And if the listeners kind of want to get a hold of you, maybe ask you a few questions or learn a little bit more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, no, thank you for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun and I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, investformore.com is the best place to find me. It's invest F O U R M O R E.com. And everyone asked me about that name. And basically I started the blog um, to talk about rental properties and how to get loans on more than four mortgages. So that's where Invest For More came from. But um, yeah, you can email me at mark at investformore.com. I've got a weekly podcast I do. I've got you know a number of books on Amazon, some other stuff going on. But um, I try to provide as much information as I can for people. I think we have like 450 free articles or something on the site right now. So a lot, a lot of information out there and I try to share everything I'm doing with my flips, my rentals, all that's listed on my site. So uh, yeah, just try and, try and help people out as much as I can. I love it. And we may or may not edit this in or out the, of the show, but I have to ask, what do you mean by, or how would you go about buying your fifth property once you have, you know, those four? Oh yeah. No, my biggest thing was finding a local lender. So like the big banks will just tell you, Hey, you can't even buy a fifth you know, house. So you have four mortgages already. They'll make it seem like it's a law. Almost. You can't do it. I mean, you can't. And it's just like my local lender. I think I have 15 mortgages with right now and they've financed like 10 of my flips on top of that. So it's just finding the right lender. And there's a lot of national rental property lenders out there now too, and you'll pay a little higher rates, but they'll finance as many rentals as you know you can find that are good deals pretty much. So there's a ton of options out there. You just have to find the right lenders. And there's even some conventional banks who will do up to 10 mortgages if you find the right ones there too. So it's not impossible, but if you talk to a couple banks, it sure will seem that way from what they say. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. And if you want more information, Mark's website will definitely be in the show notes. So definitely check that out. Mark, again, this has been simply amazing and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks a lot. Had a lot of fun and really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a good fit to work with the Before the Millions team, here's what I want you to do next. Head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call. That's beforethemillions.com slash call and book an appointment to speak with our team. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and we'll get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, what is your cash flow goal? How much are you looking to make every month? 
Number two, your personalized investing strategy. And number three, the best way to get started using cash flowing rental real estate. Remember, starting and scaling your real estate investments and business doesn't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. We've helped clients all over the world start and scale their investing efforts to six figures and beyond while enjoying life and making the world a better place. To find out if we can help you do the same, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call. I'm Dorel Lallier and let's talk soon.